Though trauma may be my foundation, it is not my future. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Howdy ho, my dear shit shows. I told myself I was not going to say that anymore, but it's been a few months. It's been a few months, so I'm going to allow myself um, (laughs) this one howdy ho. Uh, For any new listeners, if you haven't turned this shit off after that howdy ho crap, hi. I'm Andrea, and I am an adult child of an alcoholic family. I am a recovering alcoholic and shit show myself. Uh, I have an illustrious career of ignoring red flags and romantic relationships. I dated two emotionally unavailable alcoholics named Brian back to back, and I once peed my pants at a Ruth's Chris completely sober. So welcome. It gets a little weird around here in case you didn't pick up on that by now. So today we are diving deep with Michael Unbroken, aka Michael Anthony. Do you go by Michael Anthony? I meant to ask you this, Michael Unbroken. So I heard Michael on the Mental Illness Happy Hour podcast a few months back, and I was like, gotta get this shit show on the podcast so he is the author of the book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma. He is the host of the podcast, Think Unbroken, and he is also a life coach helping people navigate through healing from their childhood trauma, which he has just a, a tad bit of experience with, which you're going to get to hear today. Uh, He holds nothing back. And so I really just absolutely love and align and co-sign with his overall message, empowering others to realize that they are not broken, that they are not inherently flawed or unfixable, and that while we are not responsible for what we experienced during our upbringings We did not choose to be raised in certain families. We are absolutely responsible for our own healing journey. And while it's not easy, (laughs) it's not easy and it's going to be tough and painful at times, what lies on the other side is, is absolutely priceless. You know, living a life of depth and meaning and living a life where we are putting to great purpose uh, all of this pain that we have experienced. And he is just a beautiful example of all of that. So buckle up. Uh, Trigger warning. Trigger warning on his story, for sure. Trigger warning on every damn episode, guys. (laughs) But first, let's take care of some business. So I want to give a shout out to my newest Patreon member. So Patreon is where I host three weekly Zoom support groups. This is where the shit shows come together to heal, to get raw and vulnerable, but also laugh and have fun. You guys, adult child recovery, it's not for sissies, okay? But it also can be fun. And we be having fun in these damn groups. So... How about you be like these people that I'm about to name? So thank you, thank you, thank you to Ashley, Catherine, Kelly, Michelle, Lindsay, Gray, Amanda, Kristan, Sean, DA, Brooke, Sherry, Robin, Chelsea, Renata, Gail, Leslie, Dominic, Ariel, Patrick, Christy, Carly, Vanessa, and Lori. Yes, Your name is going to be on that list next week because you're going to sign up for the damn Patreon. You're going to damn the join Patreon right now. Patreon.com slash adult child. You are worth healing. If you're wondering what these damn groups are like, 
this past shit show Saturday was a recording from a recent meeting so you can hear what the hell we have going on in there. Please give me a follow on the old Instagram, on the old TikTok, at Adult Child Pod. And please give me a damn five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. And lastly, a little shaking it up here a little bit. You guys are ready for the music. So as I mentioned last week, we have a sponsor for the pod. We had uh, Carmen Dominguez on the podcast last week. She is the executive clinical director at Integrative Life Center. So this is a, a group of treatment centers. They have locations in Tennessee, Mississippi, and Colorado geared towards mental health, intimacy disorders, as well as substance abuse disorders, really with a focus on trauma being the underlying root All treatment centers, in my opinion, should have this focus. And I think that people would be getting sober a lot faster if most treatment centers were uh, looking at trauma being the underlying cause or a large part of it, at least. So go check out the show notes for links to their website, phone number, email. All right, y'all. Well, we're in for a treat. Um, Today, we are joined by the most amazing human on the planet. I just asked how I should introduce him. And and that is what he told me to say, guys. The most amazing human on the planet, Michael Unbroken, aka uh, the goat. (laughs) (laughs) The goat of life. The goat of life. We are going to be best friends. I'm very fucking excited now. Um, You know, it's funny as somebody asked me that on a show the other day. And I said that because like, look, it's funny. Like, it's fine. And they were like, oh, I didn't realize like you felt that way about yourself. And I was like, look, like real talk, like no bullshit, all bullshit aside. Like if you don't believe in yourself, nobody's going to. And so, yeah, I'm being silly and callous, but it's supposed to be fun. And, you know. Life's a motherfucker. We can't be serious all the time. No, we're not serious around here. So Good. you don't have a sense of humor. You can get, you can take your ears elsewhere is what I say. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So this is where I want to start. I want to start with your bottom or what you would consider your bottom to be. Not your actual bottom, but like what was hitting rock bottom for you? What was the real pivotal moment where you were like, all right, I need some fucking help. Yeah. I mean, really my whole life, like, <laughs> you, like I'm serious. Um, but the, the pivotal change, mm-hmm. right. Cause I started going to therapy when I was seven years old because mm-hmm. I got molested and I was in a super abusive household, you we'll know, get like, to all of that, you know, all of that. <laughs> right. And so it kind of always had existed. But when I was, when I was 25 heading into 26, like my life was a total fucking disaster. My, my brother had told one of my brothers would be like, never talk to me again. I was 350 pounds. So I'm freaking morbidly obese. I'm smoking two packs a day, drinking myself to sleep. I'm high from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed. I'm cheating on my girlfriend. I'm making six figures working for a fortune 10 company, but I'm $42,000 in debt. My fucking car won't start. Like, I mean, I can keep going. Like it it was only going to get worse if I like fucking killed somebody. And And I'm laying in bed one day, like this is arguably after the worst night of my life. And I, I was just like, what was the worst night of your, what the hell happened? It was, well, it was night after my birthday and my girlfriend and I got in this massive fucking fight and I said some really mean shit. She smacked the shit out of me, which I totally deserved. And I was just like, God, this is just keeps fucking happening. Like again and again and again, like I'm in this position where every single time I take a step forward, it's like, does it even matter? Is anything changing? And, and now I understand it, right? A decade plus doing the work, like I get it. Like I understand how we are the sum total of our experiences and how there's causation and correlation and all that stuff, right? But then I didn't. I was just like, nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. I'm a piece of shit. Look at me destroying my life. I'm exactly like everyone was going to always tell me I was going to be. I was living into the expectations set and 
as a precursor for my whole life from the time that I was born. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, I'm laying in bed that next morning and, you know, keep in mind, I'm fucking 350 pounds. I'm smoking a joint. I'm six, four. Okay. I'm smoking a joint, eating chocolate cake and watching the fucking CrossFit games, like massive. Sounds totally normal. Totally normal. Right. Oh. And like, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm watching it and something just made me what I was just like, look at you, dude, you're a fucking little bitch right now. You are doing everything that everyone said you were going to do. You don't know how to stand up for yourself. You don't know how to say no. You refuse to take care of yourself because it's hard. And every single day you're letting yourself down, living a life that other people expect you to live. And, and I'm just watching, like, literally it was this trigger from the CrossFit games. Cause I'm like watching these humans do like this unbelievable shit. And I'm just like, I can't walk up the stairs without wanting to throw up. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I go into the bathroom and I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I remember being eight years old and the water company had come and turned off our water. Now they were always turning off our water, our heat, our electricity. This wasn't new. It was just a standard fucking Tuesday for me as a kid. But this one particular day, I go into the backyard. I take this little blue bucket. I walk across the street to our neighbor's house and I stole water. And at eight years old, I distinctly remember this. I'm like, when I'm a grown up, this will not be my life. And it wasn't, except it exactly was because I was still that hurt, lost little boy. And, and that was it. Like that was the bottom. Like it didn't feel any lower than that. Like how could it be worse? You know? And I, I heard this quote, um, it's, it's from stoicism and I believe it's Marcus Aurelius, but I don't remember. So I apologize, but it goes like this, a coward dies a thousand deaths and a man of courage dies one time. And I had like literally died a thousand deaths leading up to that moment. And, and it was like, at that point, I just didn't know what else to do. And that became a pivotal moment of my life. I think that was actually Russell Crowe in Gladiator. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> like, hilarious. Remember that part? <laughs> yeah, he's down. Oh, That's actually, I love that movie that so That movie's so good. I cr- bawled my eyes out at the end. Um, okay, so you have this moment. And so what do you think your problem is? My problem is me. And do you know this? Yes. But do you think what? that you're the problem or do you think that... Mm, are you familiar with like complex trauma at this point in time? No, but what I will say is like, look, growing up the way that I grew up, the only thing I ever witnessed was victim mentality, right? How can we be on more food stamps? How can we be on more WIC? How can our rent be cheaper? How can the government give us what's ours? Right. And then more so it's like watching my mother destroy herself with drugs and alcohol, watching my stepdad do the same, watching my grandmother do the same, watching my community do the same. It was like, I'm just doing what the fuck they all did. And like in the back of my head all the time, like literally every single day, I was like, you could stop this. Mm -hmm. Like that was really the conversation that I was having. I was like, you could do something different today, but it's, it's like, I was willing to torture myself. Because it felt like that is the same thing that was love or admiration or mm-hmm. kindness or empathy or compassion mm-hmm. as a kid. And, and, you know, you hear people say this all the time, like, I thrive in chaos, right? You hear trauma survivors say that all the time. And that's so fucking dumb because like, why would you not want to thrive in love and compassion and grace and self-care? And, and we thrive in that because that's our nomenclature for the human experience. We look at that and we go, oh, this is just what it's supposed to be like. And so every single day, like in the back of our heads, look, I think that it would be a lie for anyone to sit here and be like, I did not have a, at least a somewhat cognizant understanding of what I was doing. Right. That'd be fully on bullshit because I did. And everyone does. But the difference between like my life changing and my life being the same were in the incremental decisions that I was making every single day. And so I'd sit here and I'd look at my life and I'd be like, oh yeah, no, no, no. You did this, dude. You don't have to get fucking stoned at six in the morning to go to work. You don't have to get drunk on your lunch break. You don't have to go and have sex with all these women. And it was like, it just 
the pain, like here's how I would equate it. I don't think I've ever said this before. I would be in this situation and I fucking loved the pain of it. There was, there was something that I was just drawn to, right? It was like, the more I could destroy my life, the more alive I felt. And I know that sounds insane, but it's true. And it was, so it was like, the more I could get away with, the more alive I was, right? It was like, how many, how many terrible, awful things could I do in the world and how much of it could I escape and not be culpable for? And then it like, look, it fucking catches up with you. Like one of these days, it's going to find you. And it's going to rear its ugly little head and you're going to have to find out some shit about yourself that you don't like. And, but the thing about that moment is that's where honesty and truth comes into play because I had just been lying to myself, right? You, everybody has seen that meme of like the cat and the house is on fire and it's like, this is okay. Well, when I wrote my first book, I put a line in there. I said, it felt like I was standing inside of a house that I had set on fire and I was holding the matches. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what was happening. Mm-hmm. And so are you sober? Then or now? Now. Um, I have go through about, I want to say bouts of it. I, uh, I have been flow with it. Like okay. right now I'm sober. It's been like three months. I've been sober for years at a time. It just depends how I feel. I never felt like I was an alcoholic, never felt like I was a drug addict. Um, and honestly, to be straight up, um, that kind of felt reinforced when I stepped into um, 12 step programs. Um, and what do you mean? I, because I felt like for me, I was simply hiding, like what is easier than putting a, a cloud right in front of the thing that you need to approach and that you need to talk about, that you need to handle, that you need to touch. And so drugs and alcohol and all that shit was just a buffer from reality. It, I never woke up and I was like, I have to drink today or I have to get high today or I have to have sex today. It was always like, I'm going to do this so I don't have to face the truth of the pain of the experience. But isn't and, that what all addiction is? I mean, <laughs> well, sure. I mean, maybe, but I, it was, I, I think that for some people, addiction is very chemical where it's like, I have to have this thing or I can't fucking function. And I just like in everything that I've ever done in my life that was bad, I just have gone cold turkey, right? Mm -hmm. I never had the like that draw to it, mm -hmm. right? It's really interesting. I was hanging out with a friend this weekend and I met them four or five years ago and they're like, you're just sober every time I'm around you. I'm like, it doesn't do a lot for me, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah I guess everyone. the only, yeah, no, it is different for everyone. I guess the only thing would be from what I know about your story is that um, it's in your genetics, right? For sure. Well, it's in my upbringing too. I mean, fuck, I think, I think the first time I had a sip of beer, I was like eight years old and my grandma was like, yeah, go for it. I'm like, okay. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just in the, the fucking society and the culture of what I grew up in. And I mean, I got high for the first time when I was 12 drunk when I was 13, but that all came from hiding. Right. I mean, like it was, the pain of my childhood was so fucking intense. It was like, I'll do anything not to be in reality. And now it's like, I fucking love reality. I love my life. I love everything that I get to do every single day because I'm living life on my terms. So I don't need that thing. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the way I can relate it. So I too, so I got sent to rehab for the first time at 14. So when I got out that time, my parents were taking me to the hospital every day to drug test, not every day, every week to drug test me. And so what I started to do was take like over the counter medications mm. that wouldn't show up. And so like taking like a whole bottle of Dramamine or like taking 12 Benadryl and the high totally. was so fucking miserable. Yes. You know, like it was not enjoyable at all, but being just still like at such a young age, just not being able to be in my own sober skin. But I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I became an around the clock drinker by 18. For me, it's like, I don't know. I have no desire to have one drink. Like, I don't see the point. <laughs> like it says like in the, in the AA big book, it talks about, so I've been sober for, I'll have 14 years in September, but it talks about how like awesome. the great obsession of every alcoholic is that like one day they can enjoy their drinking again. For me, it got so bad so fast that I'm not like somebody who had 10, 20, 30 years of where it was fun, like before it became problems, you know? 
it just fucking sucked right away. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, that's true for a lot of people, unfortunately. And like, much like you at a very young age, like I was going to the big lots around the corner from my house and I was stealing like Sufedrin before you had to like <laughs> fucking sign for it. Yeah. And my friends and I would just take, cause they, we called them dots. They were just these yeah, little yeah, red yeah. pills and we would take like fucking 12 of them. Oh, and it was so like, miserable. it was crazy. Ugh. Ugh. It was crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and that, that's, that's a part of I think that's part of the adolescence of growing up in traumatic households and neighborhoods and communities, because you're just like, this is for me, that was like bonding, right? My friends and I, if we were breaking in houses and stealing cars and selling drugs and beating people up and all that shit that we did together, that was like our brotherhood. That's what we did. And you know, the, the downside of that is tragic. Like, because I look at it now, my, my three childhood best friends have been murdered, mm-hmm. right? over the same shit that we were doing when we were 12 and 14 and 17, you know, years old. And, and it's like, I, I thank my lucky stars every single day, like somehow is able to like navigate through that chaos and have a somewhat decent life at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's talk about your childhood. So what is your, what's your ACE score? You probably have a pretty high one, huh? 10, a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Told you I was the goat. Um, <laughs> yeah, no childhood. I laugh at that because look, if you can't find fucking humor in this chaos, you're in trouble, like seriously. And that's just my opinion. Uh, you know, and so you take that with a grain of salt. Um, childhood was insane. So Mormon, right? So yeah, I'll, let me, let me kind of give you the elevator pitch here. I'll probably answer a bunch of your questions. Um, so grew up in Indianapolis. Uh, mother was a drug addict and alcoholic. Um, when I was four, she actually cut off my right index finger. And so, you know, people always, well, how could your mom do that? And I'm like, yo, hurt people, hurt people. What is, what's works. the story there? Like, do you have a memory of that? I don't really know. I don't have a memory of it. No. And, and like, there's a lot of conversation internally in our family about how and why that happened. Some of that conversation is my grandmother had told me because my mom wanted to get back at my dad, who I never have met. Um, some oh, of I heard was, that's like a really good way to go about doing it. Well, totally. I heard that I mean, always works. That ninety nine percent of the time, it works every time. <laughs> and so, you know, it's it, you look at that, and and so I don't know. So at this point, and I tried to get here's what's really interesting. Um, about seven years ago, I tried to get the medical records mm. and I was like, I want to know, cause there's gotta be something in here. They'd all been fucking expunged. Mm. So I have no trace. I have no idea where any of that stuff is. Um, and so, you know, she marries my stepdad when I'm six, he's hyper, hyper abusive. I mean, the kind of guy that would wake us up in the middle of the night and kick the shit out of us just cause he felt like it. I mean, I had massive insomnia as a kid, couldn't sleep. It was always dangerous being around him. Do you know like what his he, backstory is? Yeah. I mean, his his mom, my grandmother-in-law, however that works, I don't know, step-grandma, step-grandma. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, was a fucking monster. Mm-hmm. Like she was hands down one of the worst people I've ever known in my life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you look at that and you go again, here's this idea, causation and correlation, hurt people, hurt people. This is generational trauma. I can only imagine the things that she would do to him. Mm-hmm. Right. And so his, his native reaction to everything was violence, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't uncommon for him to slam my head into a wall or um, lock me in a closet for an afternoon or any of that. Yeah. My brothers experienced the same, right? So, so I have two younger, younger brothers, younger. Okay. I have two younger brothers um, who grew up in the household in the same way, but my, my youngest, my baby brother, who is my stepdad's kid never experienced of 1% of that. Yeah, right. And, and my sister, luckily her father had taken her like a decade prior. Cause my sister's way older. So me and my two younger brothers were the closest. We all went through this together. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, their drugs, their alcohol, their abuse amongst themselves, like, you know, the screaming, the yelling, the hitting, the breaking stuff um, that led to this place where, you know, because they were these Irresponsible is a hard word to use when you know that people are only living based off of their experiences. 
but they were irresponsible. And so we end up getting evicted a lot. We end up getting kicked out a lot. My mom was in and out of rehab constantly. Stepdad was over a road trucker. And so like I lived with 30 different families between eight to 12 years old, just getting bounced around place to place to place. And with it was your, not including foster homes or what? So I was never families? a foster kid. Okay. No, I was never, I was in foster homes, but I was never in the system. Uh-huh. And so like we would be with these people. This is where the church really comes into play. Like I would be at these Mormon church members' houses, or I'd be at strangers' houses because a friend of a friend could watch us for a night. Or sometimes we'd sleep in a fucking car or abandoned house. Like it was crazy. Was your like, mom we would, already Mormon? Yeah, my mom like my mom became Mormon because I think she realized that they were really good people and she could game them. And so our food, our clothes, our rent, our a lot of our stuff would come from the church because she had figured out how to like finagle her way through getting everything in life for free, right? And Is there so there a large population there in Indianapolis of Mormons. I don't I don't think so. Um uh-huh. I mean I really don't know. I left the uh-huh. church when I was 12 years old because uh-huh. I read a passage in the book of Mormon that says he with the dark skin will not yes. be allowed through the gates yes. of heaven. Yes. I was like, I'm out. You, you guys are fucking stupid. Um, and then, and look, there are amazing you, nice Mormons. <laughs> well, and, and look, and then of course in 1979, they, they released a statement that said, God changed his mind. I was like, I'm out. So, you know, and that's not to defame Mormons because I know a lot of them and a lot of them are amazing people, but I'm also like, eh, you might want to do some research about what you're involved in. Um, and so around 12, I, you know, there's, in context, right? I, I wet the bed. I constantly was wearing three, four same days of clothes. We didn't have running water all the time. So I couldn't shower. I had massive anxiety and depression as a kid. I was always volatile. It was all the things you could imagine a kid like that would have. And by the time that I'm 12, I, I'd been living, my mom had literally disappeared. And so when I'm like, 11 and a half. She's just ghost. Nobody knows where she is. And I had lived in our house is abandoned at this point for six weeks by myself. Where were your brothers? I have no idea. Like my one of, well, excuse me, let me rephrase that. One of them was with my grandmother. The other one was with my stepdad at the time. And the other one, my mom had institutionalized. And because she was always trying to get rid of us by any way possible, but nobody knew I was by myself. Like nobody knew where I was. Our phone didn't work. Our electricity didn't work. Our water didn't work. And so I couldn't call anybody. And it was like summer and like it was chaos. And so anyway, somehow my grandmother finds out she comes to the house, she grabs me. And at that time she legally adopts me. Mm-hmm. And so like, this is your mother's mom, my mom's mom. Yes. So, and you would be like, oh, that's amazing. It's a godsend. Great. But the reality is I'm biracial. Mm -hmm. I'm black and white. Mm -hmm. And my grandma's an old racist ass white lady from a town in Tennessee you never heard of. And so like now insert fucking identity crisis on top of the fact, like we have a copy of Hitler's autobiography, Mein Kampf on our (laughs) kitchen table. Of course. Like literally. Classic. (laughs) If you look at my life, it's like a fucking movie. It doesn't even make sense. It's so comical at times. And so, of course, I I just, that's where I start going to drugs. Like, I remember I got high for the first time. I was 12 years old. I got drunk when I'm 13. We're popping pills. We're, We're doing anything to dissociate from our reality. And my best friend's father was crazy abusive to him. And so he and I, we would just get together. We'd hop on our bikes and we would just be gone mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and in that, so I end up getting kicked out of two different high schools. And then my sophomore year, I get expelled because I get caught selling drugs. And, and I get a call from the dean or excuse me, from one of the counselors one day. And she's like, the dean wants to talk to you. And I'm like, for what? Like, I'm, I'm already kicked out. Like, what do you want to talk about? And, um, and I, I got nominated for a last chance program, which okay. probably is one of the only reasons I'm here today because I got in this last chance program. I started learning real skills. Like I learned how to interview and write resumes and do cover letters and build computers. Like it was amazing. Like it changed my life forever. Is that what age 16? Yeah, I'm probably 16 at this time. And in that window, I also filed a restraining order against my mother and my stepfather. 
And when I did that and I posted this on the internet, you can go find it. I, after I did that, I literally had straight A's as straight A's. I'm captain of the wrestling team. I'm dating a cheerleader. Like things are um, way different. Were you living with your grandmother? I was living with my grandma. Okay. And so because if you go look at resiliency research, you yeah. know, they often say that one person yep. just really in your life a in a positive difference. way makes a huge difference. And that's what, and even though she was a psychopath, like for real, like she made a huge difference because every night I knew I would come home and I would not get my face slammed into a wall. Yeah. Stability. It was somewhat as, stable as, as stable as stable compared to what you knew. I they, mean, that was stable as fuck. Okay. Yeah. Stable, <laughs> stable as, as compared to being in the spin cycle of a fucking washing machine. Yes. Yes. Right. And, and so well, what happens is my mom for the first time actually gets sober. Mm. And when I'm 18, I'm a senior, my grandmother allowed her to move back in the house mm. and now I get it. Then I did it. Now I get it. She was back in the place of her trauma. Yeah. And so what happens almost immediately, immediately she's back to drinking and popping pills, Mm -hmm. fucking gallon bottles of vodka, hidden pill bottles all over the place, money missing. You know, she attacked me in the middle of the night one Mm -hmm. time. And, and I basically told her like dead on 18 years old. I go, if you ever fucking look at me or talk to me again, I will kill you. And, and I meant it. And that's a crazy ass thing to happen when you're 18 years old. And until the day she died, I only saw her maybe twice. And I can promise you right now, I would not be here if I had not made that decision because the way that it was in that relationship and the way that she treated me and my brothers, like she was, she was bipolar, narcissistic, manic, depressive, alcoholic, drug addict, like the kind of person who's not going to make your life better. Yeah. And that, that was a hard decision, but it's the greatest decision I've ever made. Did she drink herself to death? She drank and like pop pills herself to death. However you want to phrase that. And she ended up dying legless in some random ass town in Indiana. And nobody knew, mm. right. That, that took everything from her. And, you know, it's, it's wild because I think about that all the time. and. It's a terrible way to die, to suffer through life, knowing, knowing that you put yourself in that situation, right? And, and that knowing comes from, you have to acknowledge like that trauma, all that shit builds up, all that leads down this road and the work she had never really done. She never stepped into it in a way that was going to be beneficial to change her life or even save her life. And that's the fucking path I was on at 25, 26 years old. And for whatever reason, it just clicked for me. And, you know, you look at it and it's heartbreaking because like who wants to tell their mom, I'm never going to talk to you again. Right. And, and those kind of decisions, I think, for people who grew up in traumatic households with hyper-violent parents, those are the decisions we have to make because those decisions create sovereignty and safety and protection. And we live in this weird society of where people are like, it's your family. I'm like, and, and, and so, you know, you, you look at that and I'm not trying to be fucking crass. I'm just dropping it as truth. At that time at 18, I knew it was the thing to do. And, and so I end up not graduating high school on time and I have straight F's because my mom's living back in the house. It's just chaos again. I'm, I'm now in my trauma state right now, looking back and understanding it. And, uh, <laughs> that's so funny. I got a call from my girlfriend and I'm, I'm at home. I'm playing video games. I'm fucking stoned because that's what I did. And, and she goes, Hey, um, you're not graduating. And I was like, fuck. And I like, you know, it's like, come on, man, really? So I get in my car. Are you in Tennessee? You're living in Tennessee? No, I'm in Indiana. So oh, okay. this is all happening in Indianapolis. Oh, you mentioned, okay. You mentioned your Yeah, yeah. So Tennessee. my grandma was from Tennessee. Yep. Okay, got it. And so I, um, I drive to school and I already knew. I already knew. It was Mr. Bush. He had failed me. My business teacher, irony of all ironies. And, uh, and I go up to his classroom. He and I had made an agreement. Um, earlier in the year 
It was my first period class. It started at like 7.05. Now, look, I'm selling drugs at night. I'm working a, a cover job at Hollywood Video, making like $4 an hour. Like, I'm like, I'm not coming to school. I don't give a shit about this. I got real problems to deal with. And I, and look, this dude's been teaching for 20 years. Like he has not, not seen this, right? Double negative. He's seen everything. And, uh, and I go, look, I'm gonna be real with you, man. I'm not coming to your class. This, 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 this is happening. And my grandma at that time had just fallen into a coma because she had diabetes from drinking and fucking smoking cigarettes and eating White Castle all the time. And so I tell him this and he goes, look, dude, just check in with me once a week and do homework. Mm-hmm. I did that zero times. Mm-hmm. And so I knew it was him. It couldn't be anyone else because everyone else just passed me. Mm-hmm. Everyone else was just like, well, here you go. Good luck. And I walk up to his classroom and I wait for the period to end. And I go, how dare you fail me? Just ornery fucking 18 year old. And he goes, I didn't fail you. You failed yourself. And then he told me literally the most important thing to this day anyone has ever told me in my life. And he goes, look, you got to understand something. If you want something in life, you have to earn it. You can't get by on your charms and your good looks. Mm -hmm. And he made me go to fucking summer school. And it was embarrassing. It was crazy embarrassing. I got uninvited from every party. My girlfriend was embarrassed of me. My family was like, well, now we know you're the biggest fucking loser. And I was. Acknowledgement is everything, my friends. And so, you know, it put me in this position in which I had to finally start taking control of my life, at least in that aspect. And, you know, I look back now and all of those things, it's just like dot, 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 dot. You just connect all those dots. It's like, yeah, no wonder I was in that situation. Look at what happened as a kid. And I I wish more people would just have some patience for teenagers, especially because you don't, and and in general, because you don't want the fuck people are dealing with. Mm -hmm. Mm So I want to talk about your healing journey. What were some pivotal ahas that you had? Initially, and again, I'd been going to therapy and counseling since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. The one thing I had learned how to do very young was to not tell therapists the truth because my therapist would go and tell my fucking mom what I said, like this moron anyway, sorry. Um, And so (laughs) I go through that and I realize, like, wait a second, I'm in my 20s. I'm going, I'm paying this dude hundreds of dollars an hour. And I'm not just lying to him the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, Jesus Christ, dude, what are you doing? And that was, that was one. That was like the biggest thing. I was like, wait a second, you got to tell the truth here, man. Cause it's some, look, here's the thing people don't get. It's fucking embarrassing. Like, there's a lot of shame that people have to work through when the only thing that they know is being pissed on all the time, mm-hmm. when, when the world is against them, when they've suffered in ways other human beings will never understand. Also, and part of it, it was just the wrong guy. Like, that dude didn't know shit about nothing, right? And so- Like that, a lot of therapists. <laughs> well, I think, a pro- I think the problem is you have to treat therapy like dating and you have to make a spreadsheet. <laughs> So like literally what I did is I just, I made a spreadsheet and I I put together these 10 questions and cause I was looking for connection and relatability, right? You remember what those questions were? Yeah. hundred percent. I don't remember all of them, but I remember one was tell me about your, your education. Tell me about your childhood. Mm -hmm. Did you go through traumatic experiences? What has your healing journey been like? Why are you a therapist? Mm-hmm. Are you going to help me or are you just going to talk to me? Right. And I just needed to know those things. And ultimately I found like the greatest therapist of all time to this day. I still got the dude on speed dial. He's amazing. Um, but it was that connection because here's the thing you need safety. And so like, if I go to a therapist who grew up fucking white collar and went to Harvard and has never had to steal food to survive. Like I got nothing in common with you, dude. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I think, unfortunately, everybody believes that just because somebody is a therapist, they can help you. Same thing as coaching. Like people think just cause you're a coach, people can help. Like, no, like what's the relatability? What have you been through? I need to know that you've been down that dark alley so that when I reach my hand out and I say, Hey man, will you grab the flashlight and guide me? I know that you're capable of doing it. Cause you already walked these streets. And, and so that was the biggest thing. One, getting truthful with my therapist Two, uh, making a massive shift in the way that I treated my body. 
I, I am a proponent all day long that you have to heal your body in conjunction with healing your mind. Because if you think about this and you understand dissociation, well, your brain and your body become effectively separated. And to get them back into conjunction with each other and in a parallel, you have to do the work simultaneously. And so in the beginning, like it's hard being 350 pounds. Like I couldn't do anything. I was fucking obese. I was fat. And I was like, okay, hold on wait a second. Well, where do I start here? And so about nine years ago, and I actually found the picture of it the other day, which was made me super happy. Nine years ago, I ordered some yoga DVDs. And again, this is an in Indiana. Ain't nobody doing yoga in Indiana a decade ago. And so I'm like, all right, bet I'm going to get a yoga mat. I'm going to do it in my living room. Mm-hmm. Nobody. I didn't tell. I was so embarrassed. I didn't tell anybody. And that's where I started. And then some weight came off. I started changing my diet. I quit smoking. I quit drinking all the time. I quit getting high all the time. I quit eating. I used to eat McDonald's like fucking 20 times a week. Like for real, no bullshit. Fuck McDonald's. That shit's poison. And now it's like, (laughs) they're going to sue me one day, but I'm like, whatever. Um, (laughs) You know, and so it was healing my physical body. and, And in that, here's what's phenomenal that happened. One day, a hot yoga studio opened about three miles. You're going to be like a house. hot yoga instructor. <laughs> yeah, I did become a hot yoga instructor, and so, <laughs> and so this this hot yoga studio opens, and so I go. And the first day, I, I was so scared. Mm-hmm. I was so terrified. I was just sitting in my tr- my car, just watching all these fit people walk in. I was like, "Oh my god, what are you doing, man? Like, go home. They're going to judge you. They're going to shame you. Like, you don't belong here." And I was just like, and literally, look, every, I'm going to context this. Everyone has to talk to themselves differently. Everyone needs something different. And for some people, it's the very kind, loving, soft language that doesn't work for me. And so I'm in my car. I'm like, look, motherfucker, get your fucking bag, walk to that door. Don't be a little bitch. Walk in there and do the thing that will make your life better. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I did. And it was, incredible the first time, because here's what I realized. And this was actually the time I actually really started to make sense of this. I realized at 27 years old, I had zero confidence. Mm -hmm. I didn't believe in myself. I had no idea who I was, but the one thing I did know was like, if I just try some stuff, maybe I'll figure it out. And that's what it was with yoga and with hot yoga. And then, you know, I go in this class, I have these beautiful cathartic experience. Sometimes I can't move. Sometimes I'm on the mat and just crying. And and every single time at the end, I felt good about myself. That was it. I didn't need the accolades from the other people. I didn't need the instructor being like, great job doing downward dog. I didn't need that shit. The only thing that I needed was like, did I show up and do what I said I was going to do? And so the more I moved my body and the more I went to therapy and the more that I read the books and had the seminars and the coaching and the blah, 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 the more I started to build and create myself. And the more that I built and created myself, the more confidence I had, the more self-love I had, the more that I got out of the victim mentality. Because look, I always used to blame everybody. It was your fault, the community's fault, my parents' fault, grandma's fault, Obama's fault. Like it was, it was never Michael's fault. And and what I realized is like you can't be culpable for the bad things that happened to you as a kid. Like that shit is not your fault. Like I look at this finger that got cut off, it's fucking discolored, five surgeries. I can't feel it. I'm missing the fingernail. I look at this every single day and I go, that is not my fault. Period. But I can't escape it. You can't stuff it down and act like it's not there. And so what I started doing was I started treating myself with fucking compassion and kindness and love. And and the thing that I figured out that a lot of people I wish would have told me, but nobody ever said, because I think people are scared of the reality of it. The only way that you truly love yourself is by forcing yourself to do the things that you know is going to make your life different. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I started doing. And then it just kind of spiraled and did what it did and eventually led me to where I am. So ultimately, I think the two most important things are honesty and taking care of your body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've been, so you've been on this road for like 10 years, you said, correct? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit longer now. So I would assume, you know, we start this journey and then, but then we hit, you know, we hit additional bottoms or, you know, like more 
you know, I know for me, like we learn through pain. So has there been, tell me about like a, a, a rough time that you've had in, like in the past 10 years or has, has anything become known to you or yeah. Have you had any like big moments in the past few years that have been extremely painful? Yeah. All the time. Because like, here's, here's the thing. This is what I try to teach my clients. I'm like, look, when you sign up on the dotted line for this journey, like you have to understand, like this is an uncovering and discovery mm-hmm. journey for the rest of your life. More will be revealed. Yeah. And it's like, so uh, TD Jakes is great, great, great public speaker. He goes, look guys, the thing about life is when you grow more levels, more devils. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's so fucking true. Because here's what happens. You get more introspective in a way in which you're trying to, an- this is my experience, in which I'm trying to analyze behavioral pattern. And so what will happen is I'll go and I'll do something that feels out of character, out of value, out of, out of the norm of who it is that I am now today that I've built myself into be. And I will not, here's the key. I don't beat myself up about it. I don't belittle myself. I don't defame myself about it. I sit in it and I go, why did I do that? And that could be anything that could be sabotaging friendships, relationships, careers, um, you know, projects. It could be, you know, literally any, you name it. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be that big. It could be minor. It could be like, why did I eat sugar today when I said I wasn't going to eat sugar for 45 days? Why did I, you know, not go to the gym when I said I was going to go to the gym, whatever it is. And I just sit in and I go, where did that come from? And then I'm able to like reverse engineer the trigger of going, oh, that's why, because that thing happened and it made my brain revert to safety mechanisms that are for survival. And because my brain does not like discomfort because it feels feels unsafe, i.e. I might die if I do this thing, then I don't step into being myself for the param- for the understanding that if I'm not me, then I'm safe, right? That's complicated. But what it comes down to is like, you know, I'll paint it a little bit deeper because I'll, I'll help want to help people understand something really important about this journey. When you're young and you're in your developmental years, and even today, your brain is making meaning of your environment, of the stimulus you're involved in, of all of your interactions, and it's categorizing them. And effectively, the brain really truly serves one purpose, right? Safety. Mm-hmm. And so it goes, all right, is this thing that's happening safe or dangerous, right? If it's dangerous, your brain goes, don't ever do that again because I need to survive. If it's safe, your brain, oh, okay, that's fine. It's okay to do that. You're good. Now, here's what's really fascinating. This is my opinion alone. I believe that the true impact of childhood trauma and abuse is actually, it's not like even the cuts, it's not the scars, it's not the burns that we carry so much. It's the theft of our identity. Mm-hmm. Because in childhood, what we're trying to do is understand who we are. But the only way you understand who you are is through failure. But when you fell as a child in a traumatic household, that is reinforced with negative things pain, suffering, hurt, beatings, belittlement, torture, right? And so your brain goes, oh, wait a second. So if I'm me, that's dangerous. Okay, cool. I'm not going to be me anymore because it needs to survive. And what happens is you start to placate and you start to chameleon and you start to binge yourself. And what happens is you become whatever everyone else needs you to be. So you're safe. And like the fucking worst part about that is like, it serves you for a period of time. Yep. It works. Mm-hmm. And then you're a grown up and it doesn't anymore. Now, here's what's really fascinating. This is what changed my life forever is when I came to this conclusion, which is pointing me towards answering your question. I realized that people who have had traumatic experiences in childhood, at least to the scale that I have, when they are adults, they don't know how to be themselves. They don't know how to say yes. And they don't know how to say no, because their brain has instilled a safety mechanism that keeps them from doing so, so that they can survive. However, the only way you truly heal is by becoming yourself. And the only way that you can become yourself is by doing incredibly difficult and uncomfortable things consistently. And that way you discover who you are. But there's so much more on the line as an adult. There's family and kids and mortgages and careers and all the everythings. And so it's a much more daunting process. And most people beat themselves up when they fuck up, right? Most people, when they make a mistake, they destroy themselves. They spill the glass of milk and you might as well thought they started fucking World War III and they hate themselves. And what I figured out and the thing that if people will hold on to will literally change their life forever is that this is an iterative process. 
everything about life is about taking in data and creating a foundational understanding of rhyme and reason, causation, and correlation, and mapping out how you got to where you are. See, here's what's fascinating about life. Life is linear, literally like bing, 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 bing. But the healing journey is not. It's ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys and tops and bottoms and chaos, right? And what happens is most people ride the wave of the highs of the good things really long. And then they crash incredibly fucking hard when negative things happen. And what I've learned is how to control my emotions. And instead of riding too high or riding too low, I just simply let those things exist for the period of time in which they need to exist. And then I make meaning of them by assessing what is actually happening by just writing it all down and just sitting in it and looking at it. And so to answer your question in a shorter form version is I fuck up every day. I make mistakes all the time. I am learning constantly. And a lot of the stuff that I'm learning, I'm learning for the first time because I never had a foundational understanding of it. Friendships, relationships, community, all of these things. And so what has happened is just slowly but surely, I've given myself the space to recognize one inherent truth. Nobody fucking knows what they're doing. And so if you can give yourself some grace when you do mess up, which I promise you, you will, it's easier to be able to take those lessons, adapt them into your life and just continue to move forward. Well, let's hear a specific story though. (laughs) Well, you know, the specific, there's all kinds. I mean, you know, I think about, um, you know, I can even go as to looking at something as simple as like connection with other human beings where I've been in these situations where, you know, with my former best friend, Mm -hmm. I just totally like cut him out, ghosted him. Didn't even give him a, didn't even talk about it. Cause I realized like he was not serving me in a way that was practical to my life. Is meaning this from that childhood? No, it wasn't from childhood. I mean, this was somebody I knew in my twenties okay. and, and realizing like, as I was growing and as I was changing and I was on this we journey, yeah, we weren't growing together. And instead of being like, Hey man, look, I recognize that we're parting ways. We're not being of service to each other. I'm going this way. You're going this way. I was just like, fuck you. I'm out. Right. And now it's like, I know the reason why I do that because of abandonment issues as a kid and the need to be hyper independent. Right. And so, since I can measure that now, when I'm in relation with other human beings, I can share my truth and just go, Hey, look, I got to be honest with you. I just, I don't think we're in the right direction together. And instead of, like I felt so much shame and guilt about honesty and truth and sharing who I am that it was just like, I'll just disappear because mm. it's easier. And so this person who was in my life for a very long time, instead of just sitting down and having a conversation face to face in a humane way, it was like, I'm out. And you know that was years and years ago and that doesn't happen anymore. You ever reach out? No, we we had a brief conversation once and it just reiterated exactly why I had done the thing that I had done, right? Which I, I think is pretty commonplace. But there's that. I mean, there's there's things in leadership, you know, having run multiple companies and having, you know, teams of, you know, over 50 people in my companies. It's like I've had to learn how to be an effective communicator where, you know, I, I remember these moments and experiences of just, you know, fucking foot in your mouth. You just said the complete, totally wrong thing. Cause I was in this hyper state and I didn't calm myself and think through what I was addressing and speaking on. I mean, you know, it's, it's everything like it truly is. Yeah. Do you still deal with emotional flashbacks at all? Sometimes not as much as I used to. And I, I think the not as much has just become because I've learned how to uh, regulate myself. Yeah. Right. Daily going through the mundaneness of the routine, you know, the journaling, the writing, the yoga, the working out, the, you know, all the things that you need to do to take care of yourself has helped tremendously in, in kind of mitigating that. But it does happen. You know, it happened, um, gosh, seven, eight months ago when, when I had moved cities and I was like alone this one particular night. And I was like, Oh my God, this is just like being alone when I was a kid. And it was like my, I could feel my heartbeat racing. I could feel the panic attack coming and I haven't had a panic attack in like fucking five years. And I was just like, hold on, stop, evaluate the environment. Are you safe? Yes. Are you alive? Yes. Can you breathe? Yes. Can you get into a controlled rhythm of breath? Yes. Okay, cool. Can you just 
be present where you are. Yes. And so, and that comes just from experience where, you know, I go back 27, 28 years old. I was literally having like five fucking panic attacks a day. It was gnarly. What does your relationship with your siblings look like today? Oh my God. It's amazing. Right. And that, that has come from a, a tremendous amount of work and a lot of humility on my part of being willing to, especially seven, eight years ago, just being like, look, guys, I fucked up real bad. I was just doing what I thought was right. Right. Um, you know, I took my, my brothers to, uh, to Tony Robbins in Florida last year. And I was just like, I'm taking you, I'm just, you guys just show up. Right. I just want you to experience what it's like when I learn from my mentor, when I learn from somebody that I get to spend time with. And, you know, it's, it's been amazing and beautiful to watch them grow and prosper. And for our relationship, we text each other every day. We call each other all the time. It's totally different. Right. With my sister, um, not so much, but there's a huge age gap. And I think that's also part of it. Um, but I love them dearly. They all support me. I support them. We all, you know, we are effectively orphans, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's just us together trying to figure out this life thing. What about your half brother? Yeah, he's estranged from us. Okay. So after his stepdad took him, it was like ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, so cool. So what do you want to tell yeah. everyone what you, what you do, what you got going on? What do you want to promote? Yeah. Look, I mean, I've just, my mission is very simple. Everything that I do is about one North star and that's ending generational trauma in our lifetime through education and information. And that is simply so another kid does not have to tell a fucking crazy story like this. Right. I I think about my story all the time and it's like, I wish it was lies. I wish this was all bullshit. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of suffering and there are a lot of people in suffering. And so I, I created a company called Think Unbroken. And our mission is just that, to help people get unstuck, learn to love themselves, and ultimately become the hero of their own story. And so everything I teach literally is free on our podcast, on Think Unbroken podcast. Um, but that's it. I just I want people to know like it doesn't matter what you've come from. Like If you are still breathing, there's an opportunity to change your life. And I ain't saying it's going to be easy. And look, you know it's not, right? You've been through some shit. It ain't going to be easy, but fuck, it's worth it. It sure as hell is worth it. So, well, thank you. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure. My well, that wraps up today's episode. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks again to Mr. Unbroken. Mr. Michael Unbroken, that was fabulous. Go check out the show notes for links to all of his shit. I was just going through his book right now, and there's a lot of gems in there, guys. He also has a, a, a online, it's going to be like a several-day free live workshop conference. I think it's called like Unbroken Con. So stay tuned for that. I will provide all of the details once I get more information on that. Um, I think he's going to have Gabor Mate is definitely going to be a participant in that um, along with some others. Um, What else is going on with me? I don't really have anything. I I never have anything, guys. So in the Patreon group this past, uh, I guess we're talking about it on Sunday, how was your guys' Labor Day weekend? We, what we were talking about is how so many of us, we get down on ourselves. Or we feel like losers because we don't have enough cool things going on. Um, and I think so much of this is like social media bullshit, right? That like we're looking, we're looking at all the, the cool barbecues and all this stuff. And you know what? It's all bullshit. Um, nobody has, well, maybe some people, <laughs> some people have some cool things going on. Um, but I didn't really, I didn't, I mean, I just, I had dinner with a friend and I watched this show. Have you guys watched Severance on Apple TV? Um, I binged that shit kind of dark, right up my alley, love anything dark. But so if you were feeling like, you didn't have much to do this past weekend. Guess what? A lot of other people felt the same way. Like 
every all the shit shows in the Patreon. <laughs> so um, you're not alone. Please know that you are not alone. As far as next week's interview goes, I feel like I have, I feel like I have some interviews. I got a couple things in the tank. In the tank. What the hell am I talking about? In the, is that a thing, guys? In the tank. In the tank. <sighs> Did you guys? I made um. I put. I posted an Instagram story just earlier about. I got some new earrings. I got um bags of Cheetos. Uh, I got um slices of cheese, and I got one that's like a Big Mac, and on one side, and then a, some fries on the other side. So, thinking about maybe updating the old dating profile. Um, <laughs> do you think that that would help or not? I want to know from guys. Are there any guys that listen all the way till the end? If you're a single dude, how would you feel about seeing a gal with some bags of Cheetos on her ears in the date? Would that be concerning? Would that be, um, would that give you a boner? <laughs> Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. Um, yeah, that's it, guys. How about you damn the join Patreon? Again, I haven't said this in a while, but if you are listening all the way to the end, if this is you right now and you're listening and you have not joined the Patreon, what the hell? Can you just join it? Can you please just join it? Can you help a girl out? Help me feed myself healthy feed my cat if you don't join it i might have to just eat my earrings okay (laughs) i promise i'm not on drugs right now um okay well i will see you guys next week for another fucking amazing episode of adult child it's gonna be super awesome super super excited for y'all to hear it it's gonna be a goodie i promise